Welcome, horror fans, back to the Week in Horror, December 8th through December 14th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm JL, and with me as always are Alex and Eugene. What's up? What's up? So, we've got some really, really cool stuff to unpack today. Um, I wanted to kick this off. Some new information that I just found out is an article that I read that came out of uh, SpectraVision, which is the company that was behind Mandy and the upcoming Color Out of Space. But apparently, and I, was not, I, just, I wasn't aware of this at first, they're actually developing a Lovecraft trilogy, which I am super excited about. And I think it was, it's going to start with Color Out of Space, and the next one they're going to be doing is going to be the Dome Witch Horror. We do not know what the third one is. So I'm really excited about that, uh, especially Color Out of Space, Nicolas Cage coming out. But I think that's going to be sweet. Um, I just have no idea what the third movie is going to be. Probably going to be like Cars 4 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it will be a Lovecraft story. Uh, I'm just hoping they don't do something like Terrible Old Man or you know The Cats of Ulthar or something like that. But I'm, I'm hoping it'll be... It'll it'll be like call. I'm thinking. I'm guessing it's probably going to be Call of Cthulhu, the big one where we actually see you know Cthulhu the monster. And I'm hoping it's going to be that, but who knows? I have no idea. One can hope. Well, yeah, Cthulhu has been getting a push lately in the last couple of years. So you know, be nice to see something. Studio, listen. Did you ever in. see yes. that video that they edited of like the Cthulhu sighting that was like in the fog and Cthulhu comes out of the fog a little bit? Oh, I've seen that video on those. That was actually a pretty good edit on a video. I liked it. There was a, I think I saw that, I saw that on that YouTube content creator, that YouTube creator, Chills is what he goes by. Yeah. I think I saw it on one one of his videos. Yeah. I liked where he was going with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's every time I think of Cthulhu now, that's what I see attacking the city. That would be a short, that would be a short fight. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we the city would lose hands down. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get what we want. I'm guessing it's going to be Call of Cthulhu. I think it'll be sweet. Um, but we also have some major, huge news to bring to all these listeners: is that we are doing a massive, huge giveaway for, just in time for Christmas to celebrate Weekend Horror reaching 500 followers on our Facebook page. Woo-hoo! 500 followers. Yeah, yes. And we have this awesome giveaway pack that i put together um that pretty much all kind of fed into and a bunch of really really super cool stuff uh more details will be up on the facebook page so as we finalize everything and we get the rules as to how you're going to win this it's going to be really really simple but look for it on the facebook page if you're already on there following you get the daily splatter uh you'll get the message from us as to how you can enter in and get your name in the hat to try and get this Christmas, this bloody Christmas giveaway box, which I think is really going to be awesome. All the details will be on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash horror. You can check it out there. I'm fucking excited about this. <laughs> you could I'm win excited too. Could. I remember we were, we were talking about like, I remember talking about like, okay, if we can get 500 by Christmas, 500 by Christmas, and we got 500 like well before then, so I'm... Um, I'm I'm super pumped and excited that y'all have been sharing and we've been getting a lot of support and a lot of interaction on our website. So thank you very much. Super cool. Thank you guys so much. Super super awesome. I can't wait to I can't wait to to see the look on whoever wins face whenever they pop that box open. They see what we're gonna throw them. So it's gonna be because you'll be creeping in their bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't tell them how I do things. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't, don't fucking gaslight me. Yeah, just give me your address. <laughs> I'll send it to you. All right, well, we got a really, really awesome week, and we are going to kick this bad boy off. And this is kind of a surprising one because we did not get to it during Thanksgiving. And that is simply because this movie did not release. I don't even know if you could call it a movie. Um, but this little gem did not release until December 8th, 2008, and it was the Thanksgiving horror Thanks Killing. Okay. What is this? This could be interesting. Start the movie, boobs. Literally, was okay. it like 10 seconds? Oh, it's not even. I think it's like within the first... Oh, it starts off. It's Pilgrim Boobs, Pilgrim too. Boobs, yes. Puritan Boobs <laughs> is what we got. And that's the be- I think I think that's the best kind of boobs because they you know they don't want you to see them boobs but we saw them we fucking there's so and much they were- going on in that initial scene if you break it down psychologically like they're so shy Pearson <laughs> what does they- it mean Nothing they were bitch, they- getting they- stabbed and I'm sorry they they were hot Puritan boobs too they really were you went there. I did go there. Okay, she was running and she was butt naked and she had a little fucking Puritan hat and a little pilgrim hat on. It was fucking sweet. It's the forbidden boob. <laughs> Clearly historically accurate. It's, 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 it stirred something inside me. But anyway, uh, Thanks Killing uh, released December 8th, 2008. And it was a direct release to YouTube. And it was directed by Jordan Downey and produced by Kevin Stewart and Jordan Downey. And it was written by a whole, actually a team of guys. Kevin Stewart, Jordan Downey, Grant Yaffe, Tony Wilson, I think Brad Schultz all kind of got together to write this bad boy. And I would love to go down the list of who it starred, but you really don't know any of them. But Wanda, <laughs> but I do, I do want to give a pro, do, do, do give a shout out because the lead actress to this, her name was Wanda Lust, which I yeah, think is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she probably does other things on the now, side. <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know, the 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 movie is pretty simple. A demonic turkey is raised from not really the dead, but a demonic turkey is summoned, and he his mission is to kill all the white people. <laughs> and that's yeah. pretty much what. And his name is Turkey T U R K I E. But his name is Turkey. He's foul mouthed. He's fucking disgusting, and he kills white people. That's what he does. And so he gets raised, I think, by like a dog pissing on him or pissing on a totem pole that <laughs> yeah, that, right. that wakes him up. <laughs> it was it was fucking crazy. And he proceeds to go on a killing spree. And they shot this fucking movie for thirty five hundred dollars. If you could believe that shit. Oh, I could believe it after watching it. <laughs> I think all that money that all that money went into the puppet. It had to have. Yeah, there was literally no other props. So, yeah. So it quickly, but you know, despite thirty five hundred dollars released directly to YouTube, this thing has become a fucking cult hit. Uh, you don't say. Gen- generally, it's you know the whole thing is. It's a joke, and it's funny, but at the same time, it's not a terrible plot line. And I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen this. My buddy showed me this movie uh, from YouTube because it was being followed by this this group that had like it, it seriously it was like a small cult about this movie. But so he showed this to me um, on one of those they like get drunk and watch it and react kind of things. I thought this is going to be stupid. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean like they're literally getting hammered watching this movie, which is hilarious. But then I'm trying like, to imagine, I'm trying to imagine you fucked up watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's what the people on YouTube were doing. I mean, I, oh, okay. I was too. But reaction movies. Oh, yeah. reaction. So they to play, it. Okay, they I got play it. the movie and then they'll cut away every you know whatever few ten minutes and then they'll like talk for a second and then they'll go back to it. So I got to watch the whole thing and then like listen to these drunk bastards talk about it. And by the end of it, you know, and I'm five beers in and I was just like, huh, this is uh, a <laughs> this is something I probably watch again. Now, it's grown so much. Do you know this motherfucker has a musical? It does. And it, okay, so it was made in, in 2009, and it was a YouTube, and it was $3,500, and now they have a fucking musical. Like, <laughs> big things can happen with a small amount of money. That's that's the best part about, uh, about like, cult films like this. Have you guys ever seen, like, uh, Risk Cutters? Yes, yes. Okay, so that was another one that, that was one of, like... That was something that I got into cult films because of. And I was like, this is so weird, but it means so much to me that, like, I will live by this movie. And I recommend it all the time. And I'll be like, hey, watch this. If you don't like it, fine. If you do, like, let's talk about it. And that's, like, one of my big ones that I'm, like, real into. Think, Thanks, I Killing's think, kind of... I think with the... with I think the only thing... This, the only reason that a film like Thanks, Killing with a bloody rubber turkey that spouts obscenities and bursts out of people's chests like fucking alien. Um, I think the only reason this thing could hit cold status is because of the internet. We would not have thanks killing without the internet. No. Okay. Oh, Whereas yeah. Like, you oh, know, like down. John yeah. Carpenter's the thing. The, the thing is now a cult film. Okay. Because when it first came out, it was shit. It bombed. It tried to go <laughs> up against E. It tried to go up against ET. And I'm sorry. You're not going to, you're not going to defeat that glowy fingered little shit. And, uh, the Foreshadowing. Just, yeah, the and the thing just just fucking bombed, and but now it's argued it's argued that it's one of the best you know sci-fi horror films that's out there. So, but because, I don't think we'd have it without the internet, and oh, no. with, without the internet, oh, you yeah. know, it, this is the reason we also have a sequel. Why Thanks Killing got a sequel? Thanks Killing Three, which is the sequel, which is there's only two movies, but it's three because the plot of that one is. People that the lead girl is trying to find the last copy of Thanks Killing Two, <laughs> which never happened. So which never existed. so they went fucking meta on that shit. And I know that there's like fucking robot turkeys and shit. I don't fucking know. I actually haven't seen Thanks Killing Three yet. I do want to see it, uh, but I have seen Thanks Killing, and it's on the internet. <laughs> hey, and like you, <laughs> it's, like it's you there. said, the whole internet cult, like collab so you get to you get to watch these weird movies but then you get to anonymously talk about it with people and so i guess you said that and it made a lot of sense because like there's a lot of weird stuff from the past that's now just catching on because you know you you didn't want to like look like a weirdo talking about this weird thing with normies (laughs) (laughs) normies And then, well, you have the, you, and then you can go on oh, the internet ahead. and you can like, you can just be like, Hey, this was fucking awesome. And somebody else that you have no idea who they are, you know, anonymously could be like, yes, let's talk about it. And then boom, there's two. There you go. You can find the group of people that you could say at the very end when, when the, the turkey jumps off the table and says, <laughs> I smell sequel, bitch. Or I think it was like, I smell sequel, biatch. That biatch. shit like that. Yeah. The people who enjoy that stuff. 
Yeah. So, oh yeah, because you had at this point, right? The fact that it came out like in two thousand eight, you starting yeah. to have the advent of the bad movie because you know you had like the room has already come out. Oh my god! Others, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the room, and you know the bad movie really started taking off like around two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve with like Sharknado, where <laughs> bad movies have really become mainstream. Fucking, yeah, bad movies I'm have always existed, brain, but bad movies. I'm losing <laughs> brain cells the more you the more you mention no Sharknado. <laughs> next is next is gonna be yeah, but yeah next is gonna be it's gonna be mecha shark versus giant octopus ah <laughs> fucking brain hurts <laughs> sci-fi yeah sci-fi you know the bad movie channel <laughs> oh hi oh hi mark <laughs> hi mark which i got a chance to meet him and i got him to say Oh hi Eugene! <laughs> you, Check off the bucket. You know, Done. you know, you know he's a vampire, right? That's 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 oh, what yeah. he is. He's a vampire, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. He dresses like that in real yeah. life too. Oh, I have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt that Tommy dresses exactly like that. And and one thing, one thing I, that intrigued me is. You have so much that goes into into creating like villains. Okay, if you want to consider, you know, Turkey was a villain. And so much goes into making them, and like Jay, like Friday the uh, Friday the Thirteenth, a lot went into Jason to developing the character. And same with you know Nightmare on Elm Street. Locke goes into that. Um, you know, th- there are some simple things, but surprisingly, get you know making Ghostface. You know, some people think it was just a costume and a knife, but a lot actually went into that to design that and make it work. Whereas Turkey was a fucking turkey puppet, and making effective villains. Yeah. On shoestring budgets, they, you know this is obviously this is no Chucky, okay? Where you're going full on animatronics and stuff of that nature. Whereas Turkey's literally a rubber puppet with a dude's hand up its ass, you know, flap flapping at the fucking camera. And you're talking about you know, shoestring villains though, but that goes all the yes. way up to like Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah, that it, the thing is, is you can create a very, very effective villain on a little to nothing budget, and you know there's plenty of examples that we've talked about on the podcast already. Villains that have come from like almost no budget at all, and people like Sam Raimi and John Carpenter who's like made them work. I mean, this I I think it's funny because you know obviously one of the big things is the kills and how the turkey kills people and you can tell the ones that had budget and probably were early in production and the ones were like well the chestburster one it's our thirtieth day of filming we got fifty bucks you got to make a this kill, kill chestburster one was pretty good <laughs> this one was twelve cents <laughs> because and, you know you had the one they had the one kid and like his tongue was ripped out. Out and it like pecked him and tore out his heart. Another one that came through his chest. It's all gnarly looking. And then he killed one girl by just snapping her neck after he after he <laughs> raped her. But you don't show that because of budget reasons. <laughs> I think that probably has a lot more to do with other reasons. But you know, <laughs> well, it just goes to show you don't have to spend a, you don't have to spend a shit ton of money. To, to make a bad guy or to or to to create a villain in that respect but you can't spend you have to spend some you know you can't spend you know, because I saw because another film I saw um that I recently came across I was just trolling Amazon looking for Amazon Prime looking for terrible fucking horror movies and came across one I think called soft matter and in that one one of the monsters they had in it was literally a big guy wrapped in trash bags and doused with slime. 
And that was it. Wow. That was the bad guy. And it was fucked up because you could see that you could see the Keds he was wearing. I mean, granted, like, if wow. yeah. somebody so, like that showed up on my doorstep, I'd be scared. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of like, yeah, that's, you know, like that. So you got to spend a little bit of money, but you can uh, create an effective shoestring villain. Uh, just a villain on a, but uh, like, like a super tight budget. And I, it also helps that they, they probably found uh, a turkey puppet and just modified the shit out of it, you know, did stuff to it in order to make it effective. So, but yeah, cause it looks like they used, yeah, had like a full size puppet and then they had like a hand puppet that they would stick their hand in so you could talk, you know, like nice tits, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and then the full size puppet that they tossed around pretty much cause he flew through the air a lot kind of thing. But you know what? Sometimes you got to make it work. Absolutely. Now, given that Turkey was a puppet and in the realm of, of goofy, stupid puppet you know, horror movies because you got shit like Puppet Master, you got like demonic toys, you've got uh obviously Thanks Killing, you've got Child's Play, you know, just like you know with the with the puppets deal. And then you have like Ginger Dead Man or like fucking evil bong and shit. <laughs> and my curiosity, I started thinking about that. So I want to know from the audience, this is what I'm gonna ask the audience, is that if you think Turkey should fight somebody and on the puppet level, like evil puppets. You know, I'm talking in the vein of like Ginger Dead, Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong because that shit fucking happened. That was an actual <laughs> an goddamn actual movie. movie. <laughs> was Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong? Should Turkey fight somebody? I think Turkey should get his own versus. He's had two fucking movies. He's kicked ass through both of them. He's fucking a demonic turkey. You can't stop him. I think he should fight somebody. Personally, I think he should fight Ginger Dead Man. That is a movie that I actually want to write. I want to write that movie, and I want fucking the director to take that shit on. I actually contacted him on Twitter about that. He has not responded yet, which makes me sad. <laughs> but we will find. We will make it happen. We could make it happen. Yes, that would be fucking sweet. What if, if, if Weekend Horror fucking actually got money and we could actually fund a movie? That, <laughs> It's gotta be tur- it's gotta be oh. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving versus Ginger Dead Man. That'd be fucking sick. But what do you think, audience? We want to hear what you think. Well, who should Turkey fight next? If Turkey was in a movie, in another oh, Turkey was in another movie, and he fought another puppet, what puppet should he fight? What puppet would he have a chance against? Could he take down Chucky? Could he take down Demonic Toys? There's a lot of them, but they're pretty weak. Who do you think he should fight? Let us know in the comments below. <laughs> Righteous. All right, moving on to. A another life, Stephen King adaptation. We've got uh, the super cool car classic Christine. Uh, December 9th, 1983 is when that was released. Uh, this is a John Carpenter film. Uh, Stephen King wrote the novel. Uh, ben Phillips wrote the screenplay on this one. Uh, Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, Alexander Paul were all in this movie. This was... This was one of the coolest things that happened in the 80s because, you know, cars are cool and scary movies are cool. Why not mix them together? And I don't know about you, but I'd love to own that car. Oh, that that's a, that's a sexy car. That fucking Fury is gorgeous. <laughs> hey, and uh, don't forget, I just I want to give a shout out. He's one of my favorite characters. Harry Dean Stanton was in this, right? Who was? Harry, Harry huh? Dean Stanton. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. Was. I remember he played. I'm pretty sure he played the cop. He oh, played. Yeah, he, he played the, the detective. The cop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who was investigating? Yeah. He's one of my favorite all-time character actors. I think one of the last things he did, big like like on the big screen was uh, in the in Avengers was in the first Avengers movie. Um, when Hulk falls down, yeah. you know, falls out of the deal and lands. <laughs> oh he's yeah. the security guard that finds him. You know, <laughs> so like, like that. That was Harry <laughs> Dean Stanton. You know, he's he, and he was he's cool. He was cool in everything he's ever done. I love that dude. Oh, I'm sure. so sorry he passed uh, a little while ago. Um, but yeah, he. I just want to give him a heads up. Yeah. So so uh, Christine was based in 1957 in Detroit. There was this Red Plymouth theory. Um, and it causes like these accidents. Somebody dies uh, in the assembly line. It, right? I can't. I'm trying to remember the first scene. Um, oh yeah, the first scene. It like uh, it breaks somebody's. I think she breaks somebody's hand with the hood because she yeah. closes the hood on somebody, and someone else like got in her and was like listening to the radio and everything and ashed his cigar on her seats. Yeah. And then wound up dead. We're not and, sure how. <laughs> Like, they opened the car door, and he just, like, fell out, just, like, dead. So, yes, bloodthirsty car. (laughs) Yeah, and so years and years later, there's this dude that finds the car in this yard and uh, picks it up, and then it just starts killing people. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, that's one way to do it, yes. That's one way to put it. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like, if, if... it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but I remember major bits and pieces about that because it was like a super cool film all around. The feel of it was really cool. And then like, you got this like, it's, it was something that I remembered. And then like, I was watching Supernatural the other day and they did, it was like, I was rewatching like the first season and the, like one of the first things they do is like a Christine type scene. But the alive car thing freaks me out because... Because in a lot, like we've car. talked about, um, AI is just terrible, and now you've gone from this this car in the past to now. What if your smart car came to life? <laughs> your smart car tries to kill you. I think it was I think it was impressive for 1983, uh, for the level of effects and what they, what they were able to do at the time. Making the car appear alive was was probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a horror film. I mean, I want to meet the guy that like yeah. straight up had to do all the programming and had to be there to like flip the switches and make things happen because there's like a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, so there's actually so the car itself it's a 1958 Plymouth Fury, and um, being a limited model car, John Carpenter actually like put out memos trying to find as many copies as possible, and he was able to get his hands on 24 different uh plymouth furies <laughs> he's and, the reason they're rare um, yeah yeah they, i mean it is because out of the 24 he got because he got some of them are good conditions some of them are in bad conditions he was able to actually get 17 working uh models throughout kind of thing and um of course you know some of them were pretty destroyed um through, you know throughout production and all this other kind of stuff um, everything like that, but actually, a lot of the scenes where the car was like pulling itself back together and doing a lot of the supernatural stuff was actually added in post production. It wasn't shot during the initial filming of the movie. 
And it wasn't until like they basically watched it and goes, no, this car needs to be more supernatural. So they went out and shot some stuff using, and they used like mounted hydraulics inside the car that would pull the car together and push the car out and they would crumple it and then reverse it back in post-production and stuff. So all of that was added like additional shooting on top of when the movie was first edited. Well, that whole sequence in the garage when uh, Arnie, after 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 Christine has been totaled by the thugs, and she's just like demolished. That car was destroyed, and so it, Ar- Arnie goes in there and like tell you it says the the line show me to the car, and then Christine the, the headlights pop off. You know the headlights pop up, and you know it's it's got that awesome John Carpenter because John I think John Carpenter did the music, uh, composed did would did the composition. Uh, for the film, because yeah, he's a composer as well as a director, so he does a lot of his own music, and he's got that sick, really uh, minimalist, uh, creepy uh, score that he that he put with it, and the, and she starts picking herself back up off the off the ground or off the uh, floor of the garage, and she starts kind of like filling herself back out, you know, popping the doors back out, popping the hood, everything just coming back together. It, it's it was wild how they pulled it off. That really, it, it, for, for the longest time it, when I was young, it boggled my mind how they pulled that shit off. That, oh yeah, that that's, that seems incredible. That was that was what they wanted to really invest in because initially that wasn't in the film. That whole that whole section where the car was just putting pulling herself back together that initially wasn't in it, and they actually go back and figure out how to do it. Um, in terms of some of the hydraulics and reversing footage and all this other kind of stuff, adding that in there, and to me that makes the movie. Oh hell yeah! Because then you turn, you it turn, it, you it, turn it, right it, around, and then after she after she rebuilds herself, you get you you go right into the scene where she where uh, she kills Moochie, the the fat guy of the gang. God damn it, Moochie! And just and just which was <laughs> one of my it was that it was that one was was intimidating and fun, but the the one where she kills the leader of the gang when when she's on fucking fire. And she's just trolling down the road like ten miles an hour, just or no, not even that, like five miles an hour, just right behind the bad guy. <laughs> oh, it's so fucking sweet. I fucking oh, love that it. scene. It's like, but think about that though. Like the whole aspect behind, like the you know the car getting jealous, and it's it just like they took like this this type of film, and they were like, how can we fucking change this? Like you know, hey Sandy. But it's not like a real person now. It's like this jealous car, and that's terrifying because a car will. Oh, I like it. it. It plays in the idea that car, you know, cars have. Yeah, we give cars girls girl names. Yeah. And you know, cars are girls, mm-hmm. and we treat the, you know some people they treat them better than they treat their significant others, and they're they're unique and they're special, and then they often have their own personalities. Just you know, we 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 envision we kind of uh, anthropomorphize them and give them their own personalities, and this you know they, she's got her own quirks. You know things like that. You know when she's unhappy, she won't start. You know or the something of that nature. And this one, you know, Christine just takes it to the next level. That's why I love. You know, it's such an easy transition to make evil cars. And you know, I know it's a common theme for Stephen King to take innocuous things and make them scary. He's very, very good at it. And but I've always done cars because he also did Mac. You know, other evil cars. He I think he did Maximum Over. Uh, it was I think the short story was called Trucks. And then trucks inspired the movie Maximum Overdrive, and that's where all the vehicles on the planet pretty much start. Anything motorized pretty much comes alive and starts like taking over the planet and taking you know killing people. Yeah, Transformers. That had, I saw it. That had, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but, Decepticon. That had a funny ass movie where the kid gets run over by 
a steamroller or something like that. <laughs> shit was fucking hysterical. But uh, that, that was a that was a bad one. But my favorite, I think my favorite, I love Christine, but my favorite evil car movie was uh, the car with uh, James Brolin. Um, John with jo- uh, yeah James Brolin. Uh, Josh, Josh, Bro- Josh Brolin's dad. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Benedict Brolin. Cumberbatch. <laughs> and so and in that one it's same thing but she can but that car can't be damaged because that i recommend that anybody who loves cars check that one out i believe that one was a was a lincoln was a lincoln town car that was completely done up it was fucking amazing total custom job but that car was unstoppable but i love the idea I love the idea of you know you know cars just you know the things because they look cool especially classic ones. Um, the Wraith was a really really good one with uh, with Charlie Sheen with a young Charlie Sheen, and that was a sick, sick mm-hmm. modified car that was all done up. And I think that's what you know bringing cars like that to uh, film is always cool because you get to have a lot of fun with them and do cool stuff. And so like when it comes to like the cars thing, like are you talking? Like sentient cars or like movies that have cars or vehicles like uh, Joyride was one. See, I like him. I like him with with the cars because cars are supposed to be under our control. We control the car. We tell the car where to go. We tell it when to turn on. And when the car is completely beyond the realm of our control, we don't control the car. And it that literally takes an innocuous item that we that we often take for granted and turns it into something completely alien. And because in Russia, a car drives you. <laughs> well because it's it's scary the amount of trust that you put into your car you're just not even thinking about it or you're going at highway speeds that can kill you right to go all these great distances all this other kind of stuff but you just get in it i have full control as long as i have control then blah 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 then you know i'll go and be okay and it's like what if you're going down the highway at 75 80 miles an hour and your car is like you know what i don't feel like stopping anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh you think you think like like real shit like that happens what was it um i can't remember what car it was but there was no i mean was in the, terms of like just like a sentient oh, car yeah, but there was this, no, like a real s- life thing where where people yeah, were toyota, driving remember? yeah there was those toyotas where oh, they yeah. were driving and all of a sudden the car would just gas it and you Toyota do always shit. moving forward, even when you don't want it to. <laughs> and so, like, you'd be going along at like 20, 30 miles per hour, and all of a sudden, just the ignition would take off, and all of a sudden, you're doing 60, and you can't stop. You're just like, like, yeah, auto- that's terrible. yeah like, because the they like, accidentally no, what? opened a box with fucking demon ghosts in it that got into the fucking Toyotas, <laughs> and they were like, oh, it's just a manufacturer default, even though they've been building fucking cars since, you know, your great, great, great grandma was born. And it, no, it's bullshit. It was demon cars. It's, a, it's those pe- pesky Japanese car companies. You know those Japanese ghosts are all over the fucking place. They get Somebody they get in the you know they get in the production design. They start proliferating all the way. Then all of a sudden you got cars trying to speed away from their fucking owners. They're just trying to fucking drive yep, the wall. Yep. Oh, Jesus. Pesky Japanese ghosts. <laughs> you get the uh, that clicking that boy makes. <laughs> <laughs> I swear it started yelling at me before the gas went off. Oh. <laughs> hey, remember that shitty gas station you stopped at on Route 5 instead of going the extra three miles to the show? <laughs> We're not going to stop now. Clearly you deserve to die now. <laughs> that gas was tainted. Guess what? Boom. So there is an, there's a, 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 an argument on the internet that I absolutely love, and it's concerning specifically this car, because uh, concerning Christine, and I've I've been a part of this argument before. I know where I side on it. Um, you know when you put cars versus cars, 
and I've always really, really dug that argument. I know who I would pick in the win. What, in your favorite movie versus Christine? Christine versus the car? Who do you think would win? Audience, you tell us. Jared, who do you think would win? Oh, honestly, the car. The car beats Christine every single time. As much as I love her to death and I love that fucking Fury, I fucking love that model. It's it's big, it's huge, it's like a fucking boat, and it's she's gorgeous when she's cherry red. Um, but the car is is the devil, like literally All on right, wheels. So when we when we make it, I'm gonna buy you a red Plymouth, and we'll see where you stand then, dude. If you could get your hands on a fucking Fury, <laughs> fifty eight Plymouth. Don't Fury. don't even don't even don't even tempt me because. I'll perform. I think it was for a fifty-eight, you. right? I thought it was a, yeah, it was a, a 58, 58 Plymouth Fury. Yeah, yeah, fifty-eight Plymouth Fury. I'll, I'll do. I'll do things for you that you won't want me to do. <laughs> no, that stuff is for you're gonna Patreon pay him to stop. God, you're you're gonna give me the car to make me stop. It's <laughs> <laughs> a solid tactic, man. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> the safe word is Plymouth. <laughs> Plymouth. Plymouth. Help me. What year, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yes, Al. Never I'll mind. I take that back. I'm fucking keeping the fury. <laughs> I'm not even going to bring it around you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I have a tendency to show up in the bushes, so I'm going to be there. <laughs> uh, good thing I'm moving. <laughs> now, moving on, we got our next one coming up. This one released December 12th, 1997. It was a sequel to one of the most popular horror films ever made. Scream 2 came out this day. So, and of course, you know, directed by the always amazing Wes Craven. Capitalizing on the success of the first one, written also by Kevin Williamson, uh, who wrote the first one, and brought back everybody from the first one as well: David Arquette, Nev Campbell as Sydney Prescott, our Scream Queen, Courtney Cox, Jamie Kennedy, and then added a whole host of other individuals. Sarah Michelle Gellar was in this one. Jerry O'Connell, uh, you know, uh, I think Laurie Metcalf was she the chick from Roseanne? I think she was in it. Um, and of course, Liv Sh- you know, Leif Schreiber returned as well. So brought the whole gang back together, uh, for the sequel to Scream, one of the most unanticipated and awesome horror films ever made. And the plot summary, it was kind of the same. It actually was, a, was pretty much similar to the first film, whereas Sydney has moved on from the events of the first one. And now all of a sudden the killings start back up again. And it's the regular, who, you know, who is it? Who could it be? Everybody has a motive to be the killer. Anything, you know, and, and of course it winds down to the expected twist at the end. Um, I know there's pretty much, you know, the moratorium on spoilers is over for a movie out in 1997, out over 20 years ago. But uh, I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but there isn't the inevitable twist as to who could possibly be the killers. And I know that Scream 2 acted more as a bridge to Scream 3, because Scream 3 is when it really kind of changed it up, because they were following kind of like the meta rules of horror. So, but not a bad film. Not a film. There were things that worked and things that didn't. Yeah, they kind of it, it kind of kept that whole like meta feel because 
you know, now it's like, okay, it's a sequel. You know, they basically say it's a sequel. They point out certain things about sequels, such as, you know, uh, the more elaborate kills, the more higher body counts. Um, and it definitely does, it plays into that. A couple of things, a couple of things that didn't work were like some of the kills. You have some of these characters that were great from the first one. And then it's just like a gunshot to the chest. <laughs> Bye. Like, really? <laughs> Yeah, like th th that's it. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, you know, you have you have one of the killers that kind of has kind of a you know a weak motive that you see in one scene, then you don't see him again until the very end. Um, that kind of thing. And so you have you have some really great, you have some really solid moments in it. But yeah, I, there are a couple, definitely a couple of areas where you just kind of. It kind of fell. <laughs> Where it's on. just kind of like I'm not saying the bad movie. I'm just saying it there because that felt really underwhelming. Yeah, exactly. It it was it was kind of underwhelming. It was a little bit. Uh, there were some credits that thought it was better than the first. Mm -mm. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I mean, here's the thing though. Like you're you're talking about a sequel to a movie that, um, you've got the the killer Ghostface. There's in every movie he's just he's a person. That's we discussed like any other horror movie you think of, you're probably going to have some sort of supernatural element to it. This is kind of the first movie in the genre that kind of just takes a normal person with no superpowers. There's no, it's, you know, super training. They're not like Kung Fu artists. It's nothing. It's like a normal person stabbing people and shooting people. And like, yeah, that might seem underwhelming, but like he's still killing these people and these people are all dying. And in the first movie, everybody was like, holy crap. But I also know a, a whole lot of people that have seen Halloween, Friday the 13th, but they've never even watched Scream. And my girlfriend, if we're going on Netflix, like, her first instinct is to go to Scream, which I think is super sexy. But <laughs> just the fact that it was like this, like, holy crap, somebody is just going around and killing people we don't know who it is but we know it's one of us and you can't pick them out because they're not different than the other person and so it's like this creeping around it's it's super creepy like you never you never know who that crazy person could be well because it adds it adds an, an element of realism because it's like michael myers and jason Voorhees, they're like a specific entity you know they don't exist in our world and you know yeah you know they're their own thing, but you know, with Ghostface, how any person can just put a mask on and grab a knife, and then you're Ghostface. Exactly. That that's that's how it is. That's so it just as scary that. as being stalked by some, you know, dude in coveralls. Like the the, yeah, ma just, the malleability of the the character, how it's just the image of itself has it become really, the icon. Yeah, it breaks down the trust of the group. It like puts this psyche on you. You're always watching over your shoulder. You never know. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're dead. It just like, it happens so quick. Might seem underwhelming, but it's effective. And it was effective enough that it overcame it because when they were, because I remember Dimension had uh, greenlit the sequel while the first one was still in theaters. And uh, the script was kind of rushed and somehow the killer's identities got leaked on the internet. So <laughs> even in, you know, oh. even in spite of that... Yeah, the film went on to I think it was like 100, oh, 170 million at the box office. I mean, so that, 
that's still, even if you knew who the killer was, it'd be interesting to see how the group reacts to everything and like, ooh, now I know, now I'm a part of the plan. You know, I just got to keep my mouth shut. See, that's pretty goddamn effective for, you know, a villain who initially... They were trying to come up. I remember uh, reading that Wes Craven was trying to come up with ideas, and they were trying to figure out what the killer was going to look like. And they had they had settled on a masked killer, and but no one was really super happy with it. They couldn't find anything uh, that really worked, but they had settled for something. And then all of a sudden, while they were location scouting, they were in a house, you know, just doing scouting for you know with it, for shooting locations. And in that house, in the kid's bedroom, was that mask. And so that's, that's how they found. Creepy. That's how they found the face. Of, how, how they found Ghostface was, but oh, just by chance, so of like, insane. oh, this will work. <laughs> the mask found him, and <laughs> apparently there was a huge like there was a huge battle to try and get the rights to use it, um, because the the company that made it do you know, was you know, trying to play hardball, but eventually they did no, get it. No five yeah. million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool, so, though. I mean, it really it puts that whole even that that story makes it so much cooler. But it puts like, I think I would put Ghostface up there with some of the top dogs, like Jason. I mean, Freddy's kind of like super supernatural, but you know, more like Michael Myers, normal people. I think having that type of psychological terror on somebody's life counts as like horror you know I, I put them up there with the horror icons definitely and given that icon status so rumor has it and this time it's not just kind of like an internet thing it's not like an internet speculation that, that rumor has it coming out of uh dimension or i think i'm not sure that's still behind it after uh the whole weinstein incident but um the the rumor is strong that there will be a scream five that they're that the reason that they're trying to put a Scream 5 out is based basically based upon the success of the TV series. And it kind of revived interest because in the third season of the TV, uh, the third season of the series, they actually were able to get the rights back to the costume. And so instead of that goofy melted face mask they were using in the first two seasons, they actually brought Ghostface back. And so that kind of revived interest in the villain again, which I, I think the production company believes will revive interest in a fifth Scream movie. So Scream 5 is a possibility for 2020. Um, fingers crossed. I think we might. I think we could use a good one, uh, use another one. But that's what I want the audience to tell us. What do you think? Do we need a Scream 5? Does Ghostface need another entry in, the, uh, in that franchise? Sidney Prescott's story has pretty much been told... All of her friends have moved on. It's been uh, several years since Scream 4. So do we put Ghostface in another situation? Because Ghostface was so tied to Sydney. Do the two go hand in hand? Do we need to bring it back? Um, what do you guys... You know, let us know in the comments. What do you guys think? What, Eugene, do we need a Scream 5? You know, it would be kind of interesting to see a Scream 5. I know throughout the production of the other Screams, the cast has been really excited about coming back. So I don't know how they currently feel about the series but you know it's been a while i think the horror scape has changed some since then so it'd be kind of interesting to see if scream 5 going back to the meta of horror maybe taking on some of the more recent more recent subgenres that have come out you know maybe make a little bit meta on that i think that could be interesting. you know what i've noticed lately is in in horror 
you know, you can go meta, you can go, you can go quirky, you know, but it seems to me that there's actually kind of a slide back to classic horror, just like legitimate horror, maybe with some psychological tropes or maybe like, you know, really, really better thought out or better thought out characters. You know, you have movies like Hereditary, movies like Mandy, where you know, you can go miles deep into the storylines. But what if instead of trying to do the meta thing, what if instead of trying to do the twisty ending like this, what if just Scream 5 just went straight legit horror again? Just classic horror. Maybe okay, with the whodunit, see, who's behind the mask, but what if they went that direction? But they would have to do it back in, like, the era. So they would need to go around and find a whole bunch of shit from, like, the 90s and then, like, base it in, like, the 90s. So, like, fucking, you know, pink landline phones and... That'd be super <laughs> cool. Go back in time and, like actually do a horror film without the fucking Facebook and smartphones and shit, because now it's just all turning this technological horror. Fuck like, that. Go, I, go I, back. I would have my, I'd have my Sports Illustrated football phone. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think that could be interesting, though. Like, making a callback to, like, the 90s, the 80s, pick 90s. I've always off. loved horror movies that go back for that. Well, you pick up where they left off, I mean, with the advent of technology and people understanding things a little bit better about, you know, it's virtually impossible to get a killer to pull off what he what you know what Ghostface has pulled off. I mean, the fourth one had the whole social social media vibe where you've got killers who want to pull the shit off and they don't even plan on getting away. They don't even plan on escaping. They want the notoriety of the shit. You know? It's like they, they they really don't have any they they know they can't get away, so they may as well try to work it to their advantage when they get caught. Right. Shit like that. I mean it's wild, know. you know. But it'd be yeah, cool. it'd be cool to go back in horror and maybe like do some of this older stuff where it's not where, like you're saying, like true horror. Make it scary. You can't be scary with you know your cell phone flashlight. So like, yeah. I don't know. Well, definitely, uh, audience, let us know. Do we need to scream five? Give us your opinions. We'd love to hear them. Yes. <laughs> maybe. All right. Maybe. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's leaning a little middle <laughs> I'm just saying yes yes please so the next one we have coming up which I believe so far is the oldest film that we've had we've talked about so far in the podcast it came out December 13th 1913 yes over a hundred years ago that's when you were born right Jared Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you might have seen this in theaters. I'm so, I'm so glad we've gotten past horse-drawn carriages. Those things sucked. <laughs> Fucking clomping on the cobblestone all day. Da, da, da. Although I'm still trying to figure out this bloody interwebs thing with the with the face space and the my books. And... <laughs> but the movie we're talking about is a movie called The Werewolf. Ooh. Which is yeah, woo. this is the first ever film depiction of the werewolf, right? And it is about a Navajo woman who, after her husband leaves her, she becomes a witch, and then teaches her daughter how to trans how to transform into a wolf, so that as wolf form she can do uh, her biddings, so she can kill the white man. Holy yeah! So she can kill the white. Holy bat. shit! God dang! Obviously, it's something like that. This is pre-code, and this is pre-World War One. Yes. Um, because World War One was World War One was nineteen eighteen. 
1914. So this is pre-World War One, definitely pre-code, like way before. So turn of the century, fucking shit like the fucking gold rush is going on <laughs> when this movie comes out. <laughs> fucking gold rush. <laughs> and that that's in okay. And but think think about that. You know, they're, they're putting this on screen. You know, you're talking about they're Native Americans. Still a very touchy subject. Okay. So Native American woman, probably played by a white person, and then you know, you know, her husband leaves her, and you've that got seems to the, happen a lot. This is ex- this is extreme, uh, extremely touchy material, and then you have the because it's running off the shapeshifter legend, but then you know, but, you know, Europeans we carried the legends of the werewolf you know, with us from Eastern Europe. Those are those legends have been going on since you know since time for God, and but to bring that and be the first film nineteen thirteen that damn that's progressive. That's intense. Yeah, because at the time, they were throwing ideas on the wall to see basically what would stick. I mean, you had some of the first films were literally like, this is a trolley going through New York City. And like that was the entire movie. And people would pay money to go watch that. And so like some of the – for some people who don't know, some of the earliest films were just actually everyday life. Because people haven't seen that before. Just the act of seeing a movie was incredible. So, I mean, they just filmed, like, Streets of New York. Oh, shit. And that fucking train. The, just the, the, the yeah, train that yeah, came with the screen. Yeah, I know you've seen it before. Yes, and people freaked out. Like, holy shit. They thought the fucking train was going to come through the goddamn screen. Yeah. <laughs> That kind of thing. And so, like, people blowing their minds, and you have some of these very, very, very progressive directors who, you know, probably the very first type of director, which is, this is directed by Henry McRae, were like, you know what? Let's actually tell a story with this. If we can actually edit some of the film, which the first film that's ever considered traditional editing was a film called Birth of a Nation, which came out in 1915. So, this is before that. So you have some of these first films who are experimenting with the basic rules of cinematography and editing, and like, okay, we're going to see what happens and make this work, and they put it out there. And most I'd likely, love to see this movie on a projector. Oh fuck yeah! And most likely, you've got actors who are probably who probably came up in vaudeville. Okay, they're pretty much all of them are going to be stage trained, and at that time it was still silent, right? Yes. Okay, so you've got vaudeville-trained actors doing a supernatural story in silent. So that's going to have inter like like the intercut, um, the intertitle screens. You know uh, where they the story progresses um, through those through those uh, title screens. So that would be intense, especially uh, however they did the transformation. And and yeah, this is, and this is one thing because um, the film was lost. We don't know. Oh, that's wild. We uh, we we don't know. Why don't you ask somebody and that's so... seen it in 1913? <laughs> <laughs> How was it? <laughs> I, I doubt they'd remember who they are, who they are, rather than what this happened in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, and so one of the things that ended up happening is. Uh, in 1924, the vault where Universal Studios kept all their previous films, actually a f- massive fire broke out because film at the time was very flammable, unlike, say, film stock, which came out around the 30s. 
And so a fire erupted, burned down the majority of the studio, right, where they were housing all these prints and all these countless other films to the point where 80 to 85 percent of all silent films that were ever created were lost. Oh, devastating. <laughs> just just gone. I mean, it was people who were movie stars at the time and they lost the entire filmography. That's insane. Like. I mean, just just gone completely. And I mean, it's a travesty because we don't know, you know, some of the incredible stories, maybe some of the other land landmark filmmakers and what they're able to do with the technology at the time, because, you know, obviously they're not around anymore. What, what like kind of thing? What do you do? What, what could have been? You got you to exactly. you you imagine what advancements might have been made in film. If you if, could have studied if you that had, many films. Yeah, if you, if you had the study, the, basically the shoulders of all these, you know, turn-of-the-century filmmakers who, you know, everything they did, all the tricks that they learned, all the little nuances that they figured out on, on how to trick photography or things, you sh- you know, shooting angles and, you know, stuff they, funny stuff they did with the camera. Just stuff like that. Or forced perspective ideas like that. You know, there could have been, there could have been, you know, innovative shit that was in there. That it would be years before it was discovered again, or you know, or may or who knows. And a lot of the stuff is because you know, yeah, filmmakers always studying previous filmmakers, so you have a lot of stuff. But at that time, since there were no previous filmmakers, they were throwing stuff out there, and they could have thrown stuff that could have worked, that could have changed cinematography, could have changed editing, you know, and that. You know, as so that the next generation of filmmakers start coming up would have taken that, and that may have changed like how Alfred Hitchcock or Stanley Kubrick would have shot. Oh wow! Kind of thing. The, the, you know, these directors who grew up on silent films. So who's who knows what could have been? That is so wild. I'm trying to imagine. I'm trying, I'm trying to imagine. You got in this era of time when when motion pictures were so were so in the, in their in, in really in their infancy. Um. Yeah, I think the you know the early 1900s. These things are coming out. They're you know, and you got to go to select places to see them. And in a time when people are like jumping out of their seat to avoid the train coming at the screen, oh. or people are people screaming, "Oh, great train robbery!" When the uh, when the outlaw fires the gun at the screen. Mm-hmm. Really simple effect. There's no bullet in it. It's he's literally just you know firing his powder. Okay, so the guy points the gun at the screen, pulls the trigger, and it, and it you know it pops, it, and you know it, it you see the smoke and everything, but people are like screaming because they think he's firing at them. So this is a time yeah. when people are doing this, and then you have this le- the legendary monster, the werewolf, and this would probably this is like a few years after Nosferatu came out. Oh no, Nosferatu came out. After was this that was Nosferatu was Nosferatu was twenty two? Uh, was was it was that nineteen twenty two? Yeah, it's like twenty one, twenty two. Oh like shit! So you've got this legend, this legendary monster, okay, still kind of etched in the minds of the. This is the the un, this is the untamed West. You've got tales of skinwalkers and shit from the natives, from Native Americans, indigenous people, people immigrants who have carried these stories over, you know, oral traditions from their families because they've immigrated from uh, from Eastern Europe and, and uh, other countries. And so seeing this on screen, I'm trying to with the legacy of this monster, I'm trying to just So you're talking about you're talking about werewolves werewolf stories go back all the way to like fifteen fifty BC. Fuck. 
And so, Damn. yeah, it's there's a huge gap between the first mention of werewolves in history and then the next mention. Uh, King, I, I'm going to mess up his name, but it's like Lycaon of Arcadia um, serves human flesh to the god Zeus and he transforms into a wolf to get punished. And the, uh, the term lycanthrope comes from that story and so like lichen has always followed werewolves from that point anyways um but yeah it all goes all the way back to 1550 bc and then you get all the way up into film and you have this 1913 film come out and it it is the first one and so it's this open floodgate of just wolf movies that come after it. the next one that came out was in 25 that was wolf blood uh, Werewolf of London was 1935, and then you've got movies uh, in like 39, 41, 42, 42 multiple werewolf movies coming out. With the advent of sound, that's when Universal jumped on it. Oh yeah, and then, and then this we got Lon, this when we got Lon Chaney as yeah, the Wolfman. The yeah, yeah, and I mean yeah, and then the 40s is just packed with them, and so like it just exploded as this monster that has been talked about for centuries millennium at just legendary monster by status like this is a a person that changes into this wolf that can just annihilate you now i wish i wish that uh, the legacy is enduring so we're always going to get werewolves in film like this i think oh, honestly that i think yeah. the 80s were the heyday just because practical effects and shooting techniques like that to try and make things as realistic as possible. You know, no CGI whatsoever. You couldn't generate shit on a computer. And so you've got like, you know, uh, uh, American Werewolf in London or American Werewolf in London. Um, fucking The Howling. Uh, the Howling. Sil- Silver Bullet. Okay. And mm-hmm. I think honestly, you know, The Howling is ultimately my favorite of, of the werewolf films. They've kind of gone off, gone off the deep end, you know, with big puppy dogs in Twilight and CG. <laughs> yeah, they are not werewolves. Yeah, those are not werewolves. And the you puppies. know, I think, uh, and you know, you know, the big CGI werewolf in fucking Van Helsing that Hugh Jackman turns into. Um, I think I the think late, huh? Underworld Evolution werewolves should go up against the Twilight werewolves and see what happens. Oh, fucking destroy them. Oh, I would pay money for that. <laughs> hey, you guys remember Ginger Snaps? Yes. Oh my god, dude! You said you did. You said Howling Werewolves versus Twilight Werewolves. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's like the, no, that's yeah. like the Underworld Werewolves. Underworld Werewolves versus yeah, Twilight. Yeah. That's like the fucking Winchester Brothers rolling up into Mystic Falls. <laughs> yeah, I would still pay money. I'll okay. definitely watch that. <laughs> you would have my. You would have my view. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. <laughs> I will like and subscribe. I mean, I definitely, I definitely think because I remember Ginger Snaps. Uh, I recently actually watched that. Well, I watched, <laughs> I watched, sure I watched the first one, the second one, and I watched half of the third one because the third one was just atrocious. Oh, you, um, it's over by then. I only watched it for Catherine Isabel because she's super crazy hot. Um, <laughs> but uh, freak, I think the late, the the latest ones I saw, the two latest ones I saw, it was Bad Moon. Which is pretty good because that played a lot more on the you know it's scarier that you if you don't see it all at once. That was so, great. That was a decent one, and there was another one um, which starred a favorite a, a character actor that I absolutely love. I wish he was doing more work. Uh, um, 
I think his name is Tom Demichi. And he he was in Mulberry Road. He was in uh, or Mulberry Street. He was in Stakeland. And he's a native New Yorker. He's an awesome character actor. I wish he was getting more work. Yeah, but he was <laughs> but he was in one called Late Phases, where he plays a blind war veteran who basically kind of gets forced to move into a retirement community. And in the and the, there's a werewolf kind of besieging the retirement community. And it eventually comes into conflict with this old blind war veteran who's fucking badass and shit. So but that was a that was a really you know late phases was a good one. <laughs> Bad Moon was a good one, um, but I think Howling Howling takes it for me. I, I had to do probably as a movie the Howling, but I'll definitely do the American uh, the American Werewolf in London for the best transformation. Damn it, that was oh mine. yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could oh, take oh, Bad fucking, Moon on this one though because that was a good that was a good movie. Fucking uh, Benicio, Benicio, I forgot Benicio del Toro in um, Benicio del Toro in The Wolfman. And while I wasn't uh, the the film was okay, I thought the transformation was pretty decent, and the practical effects of the Wolfman itself I thought looked looked fucking fantastic. That's fair. When when they mm-hmm. didn't use CGI, yeah, yeah, I can go with yeah that. when they didn't use CGI and they legit, it was the dude, it was the guy there in this in the costume, and just the makeup effects on that were fabulous. The CGI, not so much, but you know, seeing the full fledged monster right there, I thought was that was just fantastic effects. Oh, absolutely! All right, wrapping up. All right, wrapping so... up a legend with. A film that came out December twelfth or December fourteenth, sorry, two thousand seven. I am legend. That's are uh, you legend? I don't I, think you. I, I'm, I'm, are you the legend? Are you the legend? In the your legend? own mind. Where are we? Doctor <laughs> <laughs> Francis Lauren, uh, writers, Mark something because I'll never pronounce his last name right. Uh, Proto Sevich. Can, can anybody pronounce that name? Close enough. <laughs> Anyways, Will Smith is in this one. I wasn't even going to try. <laughs> With Alice Braga and Charlie Tan. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen this. This was one of the biggest movies that came out that year, wasn't it? It was pretty huge. It was oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was, I think it was Smith's blockbuster of, the, uh, of that year. I think that was, yeah. But yeah, so... This film follows uh, scientist Robert Neville, um, who's trying to find a cure to a virus that spread, and he comes in contact with these creatures that cannot go out in the sun, and he needs to find a cure. He stays back on an island, and his whole and the whole island's evacuated, so he's got this whole island to himself, and he's trying to find a cure, and just has this super badass Mustang. <laughs> gets to drive around in his little 305 or whatever he's got and shoot these zombies. I don't know. I thought I thought this was a really good movie and on recommendation I paid 2.99 on Amazon to watch uh, The Omega Man to compare cuz that was that was the uh, original film that was made after the book I Am Legend. Yeah, that was actually so um, both of them being off of a book, the first adaptation of it was well, called The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston, right? Um, you know, obviously huge, huge star. 
Um, fucking, amazing, fucking amazing. Yeah, a legend. One of the greatest actors to like grace the silver screen. And so he goes and he takes on he takes on the role. He takes on the role basically like a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he so was. when you guys were like, you gotta see this movie, I like I watched it and I did not expect it to be I didn't know anything about it. I didn't realize it was like an older film. And so when I started it, I was like, whoa, wait, what? And then it, it just yeah. Keep going. Sorry, it was great. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one. That, that one. Uh, the Omega Man uh, played closer to the book than I than the Will Smith I Am Legend did. There were some differences taken, but it, it you know the general consensus was it was a lot closer to Richard Matheson's book than the Will Smith film was. Yeah, because with the with the Will Smith film, they deal with these. They're more creatures kind of thing and you don't even really see anything from their side or their perspective because they're just creatures they're just the bad guys whereas charlton heston is kind of they have more of like a people aspect to Mm -hmm. them kind of thing they're they're first of all they look like people they you know actually have clothes with hoods on and all sorts of kind of stuff uh they seem more organized than kind of you know you had the one creature that kind of let kind of led them in i am legend but they seem more organized here i think they were like they were like photophobic Because I think in, in yeah. the Will Smith one, I think I think they were more vampiric, where sunlight actually hurt them, like right. like could could damage them. But in the in the in the Charlie in in the Omega Man, they were more just like light was uncomfortable for them. They they like they couldn't see very well, and it just it just hurt their skin because their skin was just sensitive from their mutations, and so they just preferred the dark. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus yeah, they're not gonna burst yeah, the exactly yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> oh, damn it, they're not gonna sparkle. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> we got werewolves and vampires now. <laughs> now, in that in that sense, you know, because we mentioned because we mentioned Richard Matheson's book, um, I Am Legend, and then obviously you know the first adaptation, Omega Man, then it went on to the blockbuster film, you know, I Am Legend. Um, but with the book, uh, that's what always that's this is the thing that got me is that with the Omega Man, um, it had a bit of, it, it had its down ending. And Charlton Heston is left in the you know the, the the position. I don't want to spoil for anybody who's who has not seen it. It's a classic film, and of course Will Smith, you know that kind of ended on down, and he ends up sacrificing himself for the uh, to save the cure. But the book, in a sense, you know, neither one of those films really play off of the reason the book is titled "I Am Legend." And what Richard Matheson did is he was flipping the idea of the monster being the legend because throughout the book. Neville spends years trying to figure out this cure and figure and, and basically kind of like uh, he's trying to figure out a cure at first, but eventually pretty much winds up just killing these these what he what he sees are these creatures. Now, unbeknownst to him, while they've been in the dark and all of the years that have gone by that Neville has been alone, the, they've been adapting and they've been organizing, they've been learning to recommunicate, they've been developing their own society. But as the years go on, they you know generations of them die and of the monsters die. They you know, generations die. Stories get told. Oral tradition continues, and then all of a sudden, that's where the that's where the title comes from. I am legend was at the end. Neville realizes that he is the monster in the story for them. He is the one. You know, don't go out. Neville will get you. You know Neville's oh, out you know. there. You know, and, and he becomes the legendary. A monster there the hence the I am legend how it only takes a simple matter of perspective to ascertain who is the monster like that and 
you know, Matheson did a really, really good job of flipping the script and, you know, putting our hero in a in the juxtaposition of saying, oh my god, I'm the bad guy. Because he realizes at the last minute that the world is not going to change, you are not going to change it. And now you have become that which you, you know, you thought you were trying to destroy. Everything you're holding on to is gone. And this is the this is the world now. But they seem to drop that off in the mo- in you know, in the Omega Man and especially in the blog, you know, in, in Will Smith's blockbuster film, they they drop that aspect to it, which really bummed me out. Yeah, they went for like the Hollywood kind yeah. of good, evil, straightforward, black, white, instead of getting a twist of like, you know, everybody's a hero in their own story aspect of it which to me that's way more complex you know you have two sides that fight each other both sides think you're doing the right thing yeah but kind of thing from their perspective i would like to contest that it didn't follow that because the 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 main monster guy and will smith seem to like right before he right before the end of the movie he seems they seem to have like an understanding of each other like where they stand, you know what I mean? They're like their attitude towards each other right at the very end was like maybe like respected each other. I think they, I think you're right. They that they hinted that the monsters were far more intelligent than Neville was giving them credit for. Yeah, and I can see how they hinted at that yeah. that there was a level of intelligence there that he hadn't considered. Now there was an alternate ending to to uh the I am to the Will Smith I am legend. Oh yeah. Where I think that really did fully explore the notion and well they it wasn't overt. It puts Neville it puts Will Smith's character it puts Neville in the situation where he realizes he's been the one who's the monster. Because he you know, he has the the female that he's that he's had kept he's basically kept her strapped up and he's experimenting on her to try and find a cure. And the other ones who are out there are have simply been trying to rescue her and get her back. Right. And Neville and and, and, they, and he may have that and they don't go overtly, but you know, they I think they they subtly set it up that Neville has the dawning realization that he's been the monster the whole time. You know, he's the creature. But you know, because these the the, the monsters in that movie they don't talk. They scream, you know, communicate through screams and yowls and yells. So there's really nothing to really bridge that gap because in the book they they spoke eventually and i think in uh, the omega man they also spoke or they they mm-hmm. kind of redeveloped their ability to speak right so well let me let me let me pose this right to do an interesting twist on the i am legend part where so at the end where he realizes that the cure works and you has a leader of them on the other side of the glass, and he's like, you know, stop, stop, I can cure you, I can cure you, and you know, the the leader of them is like growling and all this other kind of stuff, and you know, a lot of I think the initial thought is like the creature doesn't understand, but to, just just to twist it, just a what if, what if the creature did understand that he had the cure and basically rejected it? There's right. nothing to cure. <laughs> exactly, there is nothing to cure. No, we no. are who we are. <laughs> Like, you know, that, that that could be kind of an interesting, like, viewpoint to see that. That could open things up for, like, a sequel. Oh. oh. You know who won't be in it? Will Smith. Damn it. I'll side with him on that. I'll side with him on that. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, with all these different endings on this movie, this book, the other movie, which is your favorite? I I personally I prefer the original blockbuster one. 
Um, I will probably. I, I like I like the book ending. I like that twist in it. I actually got aside. I I actually like the book ending myself as well. It was it was deep and it was nuanced. Well, nothing better than a good book, I guess. Yep. Audience, let us yep. know what you think. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a couple of birthdays today, right? The first one, born December eighth, nineteen fifty. We have the legendary special effects makeup artist rick baker right who his career is just incredible you're talking about planet of the apes from 2001 men in black how the grinch stole christmas the wolfman which we have already talked about look at um he went (laughs) but i mean stuff like the frighteners and i mean it's just just an incredible incredible filmography of you know dressing people up making them explode body parts like all kinds of like awesome stuff you know uh with ed wood so he's worked with so many legendary directors just incredible incredible career he's had oh it's amazing you know he was the uh he won the first academy award for best makeup that they introduced that award in 1981 uh, for the 1981 Academy Awards, and he won for his work on American Werewolf in London. Yeah, I was fixing to say because with all the werewolf talk about, because first of all, transformation is just brutal. But American Werewolf in London, he did the Howling also, which we've already talked about. The Wolfman. I mean, he's just if you need a werewolf in your movie, he's the guy you. He's call. yeah, he's first up. You know, he's won seven Academy Awards for his for his work in special effects and makeup design. So impressive. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yep. That is just that's, that's crazy. It took how long did it take Leonardo to get one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, leave the poor guy alone. <laughs> he is great. He is great though. <laughs> so uh, definitely a happy birthday, Rick Baker. Keep up the keep up the good work. And we will call you when we need a werewolf. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yes. If we, uh, if, uh, if well, hey, you can come and design our turkey for us. Perfect. Yes. I want a Rick Baker turkey. That'll be sweet. <laughs> I'll take one Rick Baker turkey, please. <laughs> we got $3,500. What can we get? Now, happy birthday, Rick Baker. We also have another one. Um, a legendary actor. Uh, he's be, it could become legendary a very short amount of time. He's actually been acting for a very long time, but he kind of, I guess, came over here to the States. Born December 12th, 1949. We have happy birthday to Bill Nye. Nye? Bill Nye. Yes. Totally awesome character actor from the likes of Shaun of the Dead. He was in the Blood Ice Cream trilogy uh, from Edgar Wright, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and... Uh, he was the voice of the aliens in in uh, the World's End. Uh, yeah, World's End or the obviously World's you know, oh, the yeah. under the Underworld series. Uh, amazing character actor, loves playing uh, monsters and such like that. And of course, it's that in my eyes, it's that it's that wonderful dry British delivery that's pretty much sells anything that he does. <laughs> he can tell you you're gonna die with such class. You've got red on you. <laughs> <laughs> so, or the you know Davy Jones. Okay, the 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 things he brings to a performance, just the little either little facial ticks or the way he looks, the way he emotes, or he'll couple like you know when he's the when he was the vampire guy. You know, it was like 
There's just the way that he brings a character to life and adds those little bits and pieces that make it so much fun. And I've seen a lot, a lot of his early stuff um, when he was just working, yeah, when he was just another working actor in Britain. And it's it, he brought that. There was the same British dryness you expect from actors like Hugh Laurie, from Stephen Fry, from Rowan Atkinson, but he just had a a new way of delivering it that wasn't bumbling like Rowan Atkinson. It wasn't um, overtly satirical like Black Adder or the cat, you know, the Monty Python cast like that. But he just had a kind of stilted British delivery that was both everyman and kind of subtle in its, you know, in its approach. That you know, that maybe there was more there. There was some depth there, and he capitalized on that. And I, I think he's been a smash hit here in America ever since. I mean, so good. It's so, oh, absolutely. You know, so good. He actually brought depth to his Detective Pikachu role. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, I agree. <laughs> so fantastic stuff. I I hope we see. I, I hope we. See. <laughs> I love that fucking movie. I no, thought it was the, a great movie. I thought that the you know the 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 seven oracles voice coming out of Mewtwo was a little weird. Yeah. I thought that was kind of strange, but you know, I don't know how no. many people are going to get. I don't know how many people are going to get that that reference. Um, but that one kind of threw me off. Cause I was like, "What? We're never ending story? No, Artax." No. So, <laughs> but yeah, dude, I, mean, I love the guy and everything that he does. I hope I hope we get him a lot more. I mean, he was born in 1949, but I hope he's got a lot of steam and I hope we get a lot more uh, from him. So, happy birthday to Bill Nye! Happy birthday! Happy birthday, Bill! And to wrap it up on birthdays this week, we've got December 14th, 1948, D. Wallace. Oh, I love this girl. Oh, yes. Scream Queen. Yes. Scream Queen for sure. But also in a movie that we have talked about previously tonight, The Howling. She was in The Howling. That movie just keeps coming up. I know. It's the werewolf night, wasn't it? I know. <laughs> Is it a full moon? That'd be so cool. <laughs> I tell you, while she was great in The Howling, uh, and I love her so much. I mean, obviously she was she was in E.T., but she, she, e. she, yep. she made her name in horror. And I honestly think Cujo was I was going to say, let me guess. Her, <laughs> yeah. her, 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 one of her best performances, probably hands down. Oh, absolutely. You, you take somebody and you put them in a role like that and they absolutely kill it. Like, that's that's a, an actress. I mean, that movie was pretty much on her because it's like, okay, you're in a car. You have you, you have a kid, and you have the dog. We got to make this work. And she sells it. Oh, she killed it. It was like... I think the only other time I've seen an actor be in a situation like that and sold a fucking and just sold a fucking movie to me was um, Colin Farrell in Phone Booth because that that legit was Colin Farrell in a fucking phone booth. That's like... and 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 I and I bought that I bought that movie hook line and sinker. I was like, this motherfucker's a fantastic actor if he can make me think that. Just like holy shit, it's a fucking phone booth. Oh my god, this is so intense. This is just a girl. This is Yo. a woman and her child stuck in a car. And it was she got yeah. it, it, she outside. You know, there's a big giant dog outside, but there's nothing supernatural about the situation. <laughs> Simple as deal. And just the well alert. Well, I mean, everybody knows Cujo. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say how the movie ends, or especially how the book ends. And the book ends differently from the film. Oh, totally. But you know, her ability. I mean, her ability just for strength, weakness, and the the entire spectrum of of just the condition. Oh my god! Absolute she, fear, terror for a child, like. All of it, the whole range. Yeah. Oh, I That's totally insane. spaced, man. She was in Critters. 
Yeah, she was. She in was in the first Critters film. Leonardo DiCaprio was in the third Critters film, but she—we <laughs> mentioned him earlier, but um, but she was. Yeah, she was in the first Critters film. So yeah, she she's she our screen queen. Attack. Did she cut? Oh yeah, was she in the new one? The new stuff that was released. The TV movie, yeah. No shit. <laughs> I haven't yeah. had a chance. I haven't chance to see it yet. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> That's fucking sweet. <laughs> Um, but I'm I'm so glad that she's also that she's doing that. She's working and she's working consistently with Rob Zombie a lot too. Wasn't she in Three from Hell? She was. Yeah, she, she was. was. She was in Three from Hell as a as a brutally mean fucking prison guard. Um, and I think she was in uh, was she Lords of Salem? She was one of the she was one of the witches in Lords of Salem, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, she was. And in and in uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween remake, she was Laurie's mother. Yeah. <laughs> Man. She just did everything. Oh, and she kicked it off. I mean, she was in the she was in the original Stepford Wives in nineteen seventy five. Yeah, dude, she was on a lot of TV shows too, like General Hospital, Grey's Anatomy, like all sorts of shit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's just an incredible career. Amazing, amazing lady. I mean, I love her horror films. You know, Hills Have Eyes, the original Hills Have Eyes. Um, oh, dude. Oh. Yeah, fucking, uh, <laughs> goddamn, uh, Al Odo, I think, she's in one of the alligator movies, like the killer alligator in the sewers. I think she was in one of those. Okay. Yeah, she was on an episode of the Twilight Zone also. Oh, no shit. The 1985 series, yeah. She was the mom in E.T., like, if nobody's ever heard of her, that's who she is. That's who you're gonna know her by, but, yeah. Yeah, the I, mom in E.T., <laughs> So absolutely cool, and I hope we get a lot more. Uh, hope we get a lot more out of her. I love seeing her every time I see her on screen. It just takes me back, and I'm glad that she's she is a whole bunch of stuff coming up. So I'm glad. I'm glad that she's that she's seeing seeing work. She deserves it. She's fun. Oh my god. She. I'm sorry. I happened to glance glance at her film at her television filmography, or uh, and she, she was on fucking Chips, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Holy shit! She did an episode of Chips. That's fucking cool. You know, out of all the out of all the things you're gonna say, because like scrolling through it, out of all the things you said, you're like, oh man, I thought so many things. I was not expecting you to say Chips. <laughs> well, I mean, it's about like that. She did Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. Holy shit! Uh, fucking new oh, she was, movie was good. She was on Taxi. Yeah, on the TV show. Yeah. God damn, Twilight. Yeah, Twilight Zone. Yeah, she. Oh, Murder She Wrote. Oh, I'm, I'm checking out those episodes. <laughs> I actually have access to that series online, so I'm actually gonna find that. I gotta find those episodes because I want it. Lost jail. She yep. she played fell down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I, I can't uh, tell you how much I love this girl. But yeah, I hope we get a lot more from her. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. So happy yeah, birthday, definitely. D. Wallace. Happy birthday, Happy birthday. Well, that is pretty much it for Week in Horror this week. We want to thank everybody out there for listening, for, you know, making it through with us. As always, any feedback, comments, questions you might have, feel free to direct them to our Facebook page or check out our website. Uh, We'd love to hear what you think about the show. We've got our 500-follower Bloody Christmas giveaway News on that, it's going to be up on the Facebook page here soon, and we'll let you know how you can enter into that and you can win. As always, you can listen to us on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Broadcast, anywhere you like to hear your favorite podcast. We hope you check us out on one of those. And as always, Facebook.com slash Horror. 
Hit that follow button and you can get our daily splatter, which is a little bit of horror history sent right to your feed every single day. We want to thank you again so much for your continued support. We will see you next week. I am JL. Thanks, guys. I'm Alex. I'm Eugene. And have a good night.